here we we've got movie stars now who are not easily replaced and women who are incredibly talented in their own right but also you know desirable sexually and we're not casting them aside as quickly and so i'm hoping that continues to be to be to be the ground that we 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 break I'm going to admit I've been writing sex scenes for a while. I started with my Duran Duran fan fiction back in the 80s. And, then, and, then, and those were a little gratuitous, I suppose. Um, but I, it's not something that's new to me. I wrote Selene for, I think, as many women to put their feet in her shoes as possible. So I, I kind of I left her ethnicity kind of vague. Welcome to Bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And this is Phil Williams. And we're very excited about today's guest because this is another one in season two where Natalie has said to me, you're going to love this book. You're going to love it. You've got to read this book. You're going to love this book. And I've got to read it. What's it about? Okay, come on then. Come on then. Let's have it. And I did love this book. And I'm so excited that the person you're about to introduce, Nat, is here with us on bestsellers. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's cool. But you say that you're excited, which is great. But I think I sometimes get a bit overenthusiastic and go, you must read this book. And then I get really worried that you're not going to like it. You get a guilt thing going on, don't you? But have you ever, I can't think of a time where you've put a book to me and I've hated it. That's one one of the things I really, really love about it. the ones that you like send my Uh... way. They're awful. I'm lying. No, it's great. It's really good. Um, I think we should just crack on because uh, we are delighted that Robin Lee is with us today to talk about her brilliant book, The Idea of You. I'll give you the brief intro, which Robin will listen to, and feel free to correct me if I get any of this wrong. Uh, But Robin Lee is a force of nature, frankly. She trained as a lawyer, I believe, worked as an entertainment journalist. She's nodding. She's been a successful actor for 20 years, working alongside Will Smith in films including Hitch, and she played Christian Gray's COO in the Fifty Shades franchise. Uh, she's also run her own music management company. She produces. And then in 2017, her debut novel, The Idea of You, came out in America. And for the past four years, news of this boy band book, as it often gets referred to, has been growing <laughs> as its word of mouth hit. And this summer in 2021, it finally came out in paperback in the UK. And it is glorious. Robin, we are so happy that you're here mm. to chat to us all about this book. Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you. Yay, you're welcome. And um, one you. thing I wanted to start off with is, I mean, I know it's the kind of cliche that we always get authors to do but you're going to do it way better than I am is what is your kind of elevator pitch for this book what's your quick sell on it um oh goodness uh 39 <laughs> year old divorced sophisticated art dealer from Los Angeles has a 12 year old daughter who's obsessed with British boy band the mother takes a daughter and some friends to a concert and meet and greet with the band and one of the guys in the band falls for the mom and he's 20. and see what's so good about the way you describe that is straight away it's from the mum's point of view. It's from the 39-year-old and it's all about her and her daughter. And if I, if I had to describe it, I would almost say there's a love triangle, but not in the traditional sense, but it is sort of like the mum at the top. And then you've got Hayes, who's the singer in the boy band and Isabel, who's the daughter, who are both 
equal well not equally they're just competing for the mum's love the whole time and how she can share her affections and and it's so complex but so brilliant and I also really love that Phil you totally fell for this book when traditionally society may tell us that this may not be a book for men as well well as you know I hate that I yeah, really hate too. that I hate because it. what, who, who are people that have never met me to dictate what book I'm going to like? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What, so that, I, but actually, um, Robin, from a, a male perspective, there are, and I need to be careful what I say so I don't give any spoilers away, but one of the things I love first about this is that this, I think this is actually a book about hope, isn't it? I, I got mm-hmm. the feeling that the, the 39-year-old divorcee is a bit down a lot. The husband seems a bit of a dick, if you don't mind me saying, and the ex-husband, and, and all of a sudden this... You know, she's being looked at by Hayes in a way that she didn't think she would be looked at. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what that's what lured me in, because right. uh, I've been there, not at that age, but I've been there at a younger age where relationship, long term relationships are fragmented and your self-worth just plummets. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I thought you captured that really well at the beginning of the book to start with. That's right. what hooked me in. Right. I think I mean, I think this is a journey about a woman falling in love, but also rediscovering herself, um, reclaiming her identity and defining who she is for herself, reclaiming her sexuality, and just kind of coming into her power and being able to celebrate it at, at the age where traditionally uh, society tells us women at that age that we're no longer desirable and no longer of value. And for her to find the value in herself at 40 is, a really beautiful journey to kind of explore. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, do you think it's getting any better, Robin? I mean, you, you say society. I, I I would say Hollywood has got a big. I would say Hollywood. I, I mean, yeah, I, I've I've voiced it. Sometimes I say media. Sometimes I say social media. Whatever it is, um, I'd like to think it's getting better in that we don't throw out too many of our actresses anymore at the age of 40. <laughs> and, and so long as they're considered desirable um, on, a, on a wide, in a mainstream kind of way, it will continue to improve. Because I think that, the, I mean, I think if you look at the old studio system, it was, you know, you had a contract for a certain amount of years and then you were gone and you're out and they were, they, you know, replaced you. But here we we've got, movie stars now who are not easily replaced and women who are incredibly talented in their own right, but also, you know, desirably, desirable sexually, and we're not casting them aside as quickly. And so I'm hoping that continues to be, to be, to be the ground that we, we, we break. And I mean, I feel like, and I think actresses also are a little more vocal about it now. Like you have someone like J-Lo, let's say, who just turned 52 and announced it. I don't know if you saw her, but if she's got a picture. <laughs> oh yeah. Five two, whatever, <laughs> in Central Pay, on her boat, looking fabulous with yeah. her with her old love, who's her new love again. And- uh, Benefer's back. Benefer's back. And it's, it's, it's nice to see her to be able to celebrate and be like, you know what, I look great and this is how old I am and this is what I'm doing and I'm still viable, I'm still valuable. I, there's still money to be made off of me Hollywood wise, but I still look great. And I, I think that's kind of nice. I mean, I don't feel like women should have to put themselves out there like that if they don't want to, but if you're comfortable doing it, by all means, 
Yeah, I mean, I would say as somebody who has not been successful as an actress in Hollywood, who knows, maybe at some point. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think <laughs> you never know. Um, I think societally, though, what also chimes with this book, and I'm intrigued, Phil, actually, from your experience as well as a parent, but I found when I had kids, one of the things that was really difficult to get a grasp on was that you did lose your identity as a person outside of your children. And so many places that you'd go to, if you went to baby groups or even going to the doctors with your kids, you suddenly didn't have a name anymore. You were just there yeah. somebody's mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tell you when I noticed that um, first was when we went to the antenatal appointments for our second child. So we already had the first boy and he was sat on my lap. And the doctor was only talking to my wife. Mm. And then uh, I said, I've got a question. And she went, oh, sorry, dad. As if like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, well, I only don't have a question, but this is going to blow your mind. I've got a name. <laughs> and that, that, was, that was the first point time I noticed that. And yeah, it's really easy to, I think the other thing as well is you're so knackered and worn to the bone with them. Like the age mine are two and five, you know, they're, they're, they're so demanding on your time that actually it's easy to let some of the other stuff go. You know, like, I mean, this is partly pandemic-induced, but I haven't worn anything apart from Adidas tracksuit bottoms for about 20 months now. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's because also that, you know, again, it shouldn't necessarily be that the the kind of burden falls to the mums to look after kids more, but I think because that does still tend to happen and if the frequency of somebody always referring to you as somebody's mum... <laughs> It, it just kind of wears it down even more. Um, so that's why it was so delightful. So I'd, I'd kind of disagree with you a little bit, Phil, when when you were chatting about, so Solene, who is like the main mm. female character that we meet at the start of, um, of Robin's book. I don't think she was necessarily down on her luck. I kind of saw her as accepting and being very fulfilled with what she had built up with her job and her career and her friends and that was all great, but she'd kind of put romance away as something unattainable or just not didn't have time for or didn't want to kind of go there again or whatever. But I, I think she was very much content that it it's it's good. She doesn't need a man. She doesn't need Interesting. that Interesting. Well, Robin, can we ask you then? Because you created her. You brought her to life. <laughs> Which of those scenarios is closer to what you had in your mind? I mean, I think... I think she was content in the beginning of in the in the story. Like her, she's got what to her is a full life. She's got a great career. She's got a good relationship with her daughter. She is navigating this post-divorce kind of co-parenting situation, and it's fine. I don't think she realizes what she's been missing until yeah. Hayes comes into her life, and that just kind of reawakening reawakens something completely new inside of her and then it's like oh I could I can have all that and have this like there's more to me than than I've been sharing with the world like I've kind of I've put myself in these boxes and I've been a mom and a career woman and I'd completely forgotten woman woman mm, mm, mm. and um I think that's what this journey is so interesting I think uh, and I wanted to ask you about this it, certainly in relation to my own life where so when Hayes comes along right and he's clearly infatuated with her but she doesn't really understand why I think the age right. gap is one of the reasons for that and I've had a couple of situations in life where 
you know, many years ago where someone's shown some interest or attention towards me and you think, well, hang on, what, what's really, is this a wind up? Is it, you know, and where do you think that self, where does that self doubt come from? You know, what is it about society or is it about the upbringing that says, right, you're in that lane, she's in that lane. And if she's going to drive into your lane, it's got to be a crash. Right. I don't know what that is. No, I don't, you're right. <laughs> we do. We put these limits on ourselves. I mean, I think it's, it's images in the media and it's what we, what we see people who are like us paired with, I suppose. And what, so what seems like attainable, I suppose. And then when it, when it goes beyond that, it's kind of like it, you don't, it's unexpected. It, it's a little daunting and you just kind of imagine, well, it, like you said, it's going to crash. This is not, this is not how it plays out in the movies. <laughs> like, mm. So who knows? Shall we hear a bit mm. from the idea of you so that if people listening haven't come across this book yet, they get a real flavor of what to expect? I would love that. <laughs> Good. This is a, something from the beginning. I love to read. It's, for, it's, a, it's a few pages. Um, but so it's, it's quite early on. There's no spoilers. Early on, no spoilers. But it, it kind of gives you an idea of how they get to come together and, and Selene's frame of mind. I was not a fan of Vegas. Loud, fat, dirty. The underbelly of America convened in one garish skid mark in the desert. I'd visited once years before to attend a bachelorette party that I was still trying to forget. The smell of strip clubs and drugstore perfume and vomit. Those things linger. But this was not my adventure. This time I was just along for the ride. Isabel and her friends had made that clear. They spent that afternoon running circles around the resort on a quest to find their idols while I followed dutifully. I'd become accustomed to this, my passionate daughter trying any and everything, setting her mind and forging her way, Isabel and her American can-do spirit. There was trapeze school and figure skating, musical theater, fencing. She was fearless and I loved that about her, envied it even. I liked that she took risks that she did not wait for permission, that she followed her heart. Isabel was okay with living outside the lines. I was hoping to convince the girls to visit the Contemporary Art Center. It would have been nice to squeeze some real culture into the weekend, to imprint something worthwhile upon their impressionable minds. I'd spent countless hours trilling my mother through the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston as a child, following the click of her Vivier heels, the scent of the custom-made fragrance she bought every summer in grass. How knowledgeable she was to me then, how womanly. I knew the halls of that museum as well as I knew my third grade classroom, but Isabel and her cohorts had balked at the idea. Mom, you know at any other time I would say yes, but this trip is different. Please, he'd implored. They'd come to Vegas for one reason only, and nothing would thwart their mission. Our lives begin tonight, Georgia with the silky brown skin had proclaimed on the flight in. Rose, the redhead, agreed, and the three quickly adopted as their mantra. No expectation too high. They had their whole lives ahead of them. They were 12. The meet and greet was at six o'clock. I don't know what I was expecting exactly, something slightly elegant, civilized, but no. They crammed us into a fluorescent lit holding room in the bowels of the arena, 50 odd worshipers in various stages of puberty, girls in braces, girls in wheelchairs, girls in heat, wide-eyed and smitten and on the verge of combustion. It was at once beautiful and desperate, and it pained me to realize that Isabel was now part of this tribe, this motley crew searching for happiness and five boys from Britain whom they did not know, could never know, and who would never return the adulation. Several parents were scattered throughout, 
a select swath of middle America, jeans, t-shirts, practical shoes, faces pink from a brutal introduction to the Vegas sun. It dawned on me that I would be lumped in with these people, Augies, as the media had dubbed the fandom, or worse yet, an Augie mom. The girls were beginning to fidget when a side door opened and a hulking bald man with a neck full of laminated passes entered. Who here is ready to meet the band? Shrieks Percier, and I suddenly remember that I'd forgotten my earplugs in the hotel room. Lulit, my business partner and confidant in all things worth confiding, had mentioned it yesterday at the gallery, told me I'd be crazy to step into a stadium of Augies without a pair. Apparently, she'd once attended a concert with her niece. The boys are adorable, but my God, the fans are loud. Beside me, Isabel's entire body had begun to shake. Excited? I squeezed her shoulders. Cold? She shrugged it off, ever the aloof one. The guys are going to be five more minutes, the hulking man continued. They'll stay for about 20. I need you all to form a line up here to the left. You'll each get your turn for quick hello and a photo with the group. No selfies. A photographer will take the pics and you'll be able to download them later online. We'll provide you with the link. You all get that? It seems so impersonal. Certainly there are better ways Daniel could have spent his money. I was thinking as I stared us into line that I was overdressed in Elias sandals and out of place, that I was pulled together and polished and that once again, for better or worse, I stuck out. This, my father's mother had explained to me on numerous occasions, was my birthright. You are French at your corps. Il ne faut pas l'oublier. There was no forgetting it, my Frenchness. And so I resisted being grouped in with these women, but at the same time, I was keenly aware of their selfishness, their patience, the things we did for our children. What kind of mother would I be to begrudge Isabel this moment? And then they entered, the five of them. There was a ground swell and audible swooning and Rose let out a little yelp like a puppy that had had her tail stepped on. Georgia threw her a look that said, get it together, sister. And indeed Rose did. They were young. That was my first thought. They had dewy, fresh skin as if they'd been raised on an organic farm. They were taller than I'd expected, lean, like the swim team at Brown, only prettier. Now, who is who, I asked, and Isabel shushed me. Right. We migrated to where the boys were positioned before a banner with the August Moon logo, big yellow letters across a gray backdrop. They seemed happy, giddy even, to be mingling with their fans, a mutual love affair the way they handed up for the camera and put the awkward adolescents at ease, the way they flirted with their older fans, sly but not crossing the line, the way they engaged the tweens and charmed the mothers. It was an art. They'd nailed it. When we were next in line, Isabel leaned into me. Left to right, Rory, Oliver, Simon, Liam, and Hayes. Got it. Don't say anything embarrassing, okay? I promised her I wouldn't, and then it was our turn. Well, hello, lasses. Simon bellowed, eyes wide, arms outstretched. He had an impressive wingspan. Isabel had mentioned on the plane that he'd rode crew in boarding school. Step right up, don't be shy. The girls did not need a second prompt. Georgia lunged into Simon's arms and Rose sidled up next to Liam, the baby of the bunch, he with the green eyes and freckles. Only Isabel hesitated, her eyes darting back and forth. Eeny, meeny, miny, quite the candy store. Having a hard time deciding. The tall one in the far end spoke. Come, come stand near me. I don't bite, I promise. Now Rory, Rory might bite. And Ollie's unpredictable, so. He smiled his dazzling smile. Wide mouth, full lips, perfect teeth, dimples. Haze. Isabel smiled and made her way in his direction. Ha, I win, I win. What's your name, love? Isabel. I win, Isabel. He flung his arm over her narrow shoulders, protective-like, and then glanced over to me. 
and you must be the big sister. Isabel laughed, covering her mouth, her features delicate like a little bird. That's my mom. Your mom? Hayes raised an eyebrow, holding my gaze. Really? All right then, Isabel's mom. Do you want to join us for the picture? No, I'm fine, thanks. You sure? Promise to make it worth your while. I laughed at that. I'd like to see you do that. I'd like to show you, he smiled, bold. Come on, you'll want something to commemorate our wild night in Vegas. Well, when you make it so appealing. The first photo I have of myself with Hayes is of the nine of us in the basement of the Mandalay Bay. He has one arm draped around me and the other around Isabel. I'd ordered two copies. In time, Isabel would destroy hers. I can stuff. safely say that w <laughs> that's the best reading we've ever had on bestsellers. Don't you think? Yeah. But also, like, I think you did the audio book, right? I did the audio book. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Oh, it's literally was... spine tingling. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm grinning all the way through watching it. It's a long time. It's very weird to go back and read it and like ah. <laughs> yeah. So can I be really nosy now? I feel like I know you well enough to really dig in. Sure, go for it. How many boy bands have you hung around with? The scenes with the bands are incredible, right? Not just because of the chaos that you capture, but the, right. the beautiful places in the world that they go to, the way security operates. I've right. been around a bit of that as an entertainment journalist, and yeah. it's, it's spot on. So um, I really have only spent time with new kids on the block. Okay. I when I was managing a singing group, we got we had one of the new kids man uh, sorry produced for our singing group, and so I got to know them when they were kind of at the height of their, um, of their fame, I suppose, yeah. and uh, and so I got to see that up close, and I knew that if I was making this book present day, I had to update certain things, and so I still had friends who were associated with the band or who were tour promoters whatever and I was like do you still do this do you still do that how much of this is real and I'm trying to like and I and I keep really really detailed journals so I was able to go back to my journals from the 90s and be like okay what was this like and um but that that was it I mean I, I I've seen a I've seen probably more boy bands in concert than I would admit <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I didn't follow them. I, I wasn't like obsessed, like a, right. because I was in the music industry for a while. Like I'd been obsessed. I was obsessed with Duran Duran when I was young. Um, I don't think of them as a boy. I don't classify them as a boy band. But I, but I did know every single detail about their lives in, in the eighties. And then I kind of like it just kind of fell off for me. And then after working while I was working with the New Kids, because I knew people in the industry, I would get tickets, and so I saw. Backstreet Boys and New Edition and NSYNC and Justin Timberlake solo. Like I, I saw all of that and and you go backstage sometimes and it it's kind of the same thing always. So you know, which one of New Kids was Hayes? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you are the first person to ask, ask me that. No. <laughs> I'm blushing. No one, no one. New Hayes is very much no. his person. No. Yeah. <laughs> but hanging tough with any of those guys, no? Hanging tough with any of them. <laughs> That's a callback. Um, <laughs> no, I very much wanted to make them British. I just, because because I think Duran Duran were my first love. And mm. I've just always loved the whole British thing. It's such a charming accent. And new kids were so American. They were so Boston. Like, they were, they were not, you know, I wanted this guy to feel kind of refined and posh and educated and 
and and it's I mean I, I know that this was one of your inspirations as well but it's so funny that everybody I've talked to about the book or have kind of interacted with on social media they sort of skirt around it for some reason and then they go but it is Harry Styles right <laughs> there's a lot of Harry in there Harry was um when I was writing this One Direction was really big and so they were the closest I had to go to I liked when I was doing my research like what would a current boy band like be today what would be like today as far as where, what venues are they playing? What shows are they doing? What, what's their schedule like? And so I, I kind of like went and did my research and found like the nitty gritty of like, where do they stay? What hotels do they stay in? Like, what are their lives like? Um, it's actually, that's a really good point. There isn't one at the moment, is there? I was trying to think, I mean, well, BTS are huge. Yeah, but BTS yeah. don't have the same sexualization, I don't think. They, they no, look like they, dolls. They don't, they look like dolls. They really do. Yeah, but, but you wouldn't mind, like they, you wouldn't they, mind they BTS babysitting your of- daughter, would you? <laughs> Well, I don't but know, they I have like the legions of female fans though. Legions of fans, but I think that's, I mean, I think the, the thing it that- It feels women, more innocent. It feels more innocent, but they've always kind of been manufactured to feel that way, to feel like safe enough that your 11 year old can go to the concert and like mm. nothing bad is going to happen to her and nothing, they're not going to do anything too obscene on stage and because they've, they've got this younger audience. And so I think the boys luck to be in a boy band are usually kind of, they're safe. They they can be beautiful to look at, but they're only sexual up to a certain point. Usually, maybe there's one or two of them who are on the other end of the spectrum for the older fans. I don't know. I saw them on Fallon the other night. They all looked asexual to me. The BTS, yes. Yeah. But I think also that's also where our society is now. Like people are, you know, more open to to it. Or people more fluid. Yeah, and then whole like gender bending or whatever, like non-binary. I just said I don't know how they I don't know how they identify, so I don't want to put any labels on them. But I feel like the audience is is much more open to that now than they were 10, yeah. 20 years ago. Which is which is I mean I know it's it's not necessarily a discussion for now, but it's interesting because often that is the demise of a boy band is because they've been so marketed towards young girls that right. there comes a time when the boys are like. I'm done with this now. I kind of, I'm well, not- Also, that's a really interesting part of this book, Robin, isn't it? Because um, you explore what happens if Hayes and Solen go public and right. the fact that the boy band member has a girlfriend, you know? Yeah, because they'd like to keep that under wraps. I mean, and I, I even, when I was doing the research, I could see it with One Direction, like their romances, they, I think that their manager was kind of like, you keep that quiet for as long as possible. It was really so interesting. And, I think and, you know, Harry, really Harry Styles didn't achieve that, did they? <laughs> I'm on my own, man. <laughs> but it is fascinating, though. Like you, you do kind of like I do wonder why. As in, you know, we know that that's something that happened with the Hollywood system. You know, in the 40s and 50s, where they would manufacture dates or people would hide sexuality um, because they were supposed to try to appeal to again certain demographics. But you'd kind of think that, like at this time in the world. Calm people, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think the next, I don't know. I don't follow BTS closely because I'm not doing the research, but I wonder if any of them have partners that they're... Yeah, I don't not- know either, actually. I mean, I should say I've, I've interviewed One Direction a few times and really? take, yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it was kind of fascinating reading your book, Robin, because so much of it is, as Phil was saying, is just so right because the dynamics within that group I mean I remember 
pretty much all my encounters with them um, would be, you'd have uh, Harry and Liam would be the ones who would mainly sensibly answer your questions. Um, Niall and Louis would just muck around and try and distract and ruin everything. And Zane would just sort of be off to the side, not wanting to really partake at all. <laughs> right. Um, Once you realize that every band has that kind of, like mm. about the, the new kids on the block and who the serious ones were and who did who did the bulk of the interviews and who were the, the pretty boys and who kind of were like the bad boys and didn't, you know, you you realize that you get these label, like I, I, I say it in the in the group too. It's like Hayes is known as a swagger one and Oliver yeah. is a dad. And like you do, they, people put labels on you like oh, you're this guy in the group and that's your, stay in your lane. <laughs> like mm. you're not the bad boy. You're, you're never going to be the bad boy. This guy is a bad boy. And like never the two shall meet. Like it, you, we put labels on them and we categorize them and that's how we, um, we package them and that's how we like them. It's very bizarre. I wanted to explain to you listening uh, to bestsellers that um, because Robin is uh, West Coast of America, we are talking to her very late at night here in the UK. And I've been emboldened by my first pint to ask you about, <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you about the sex that's in the book. Right? Okay. Because uh, it's too early the, for me to discuss sex here. It's, <laughs> if you, if you need it. to, if you need to dip your camera, it's fine. Um, <laughs> we won't see you blushing, but um <laughs> The reason why I mention it is because when I, I was about 100 maybe in, 120 in, Natalie messaged me. I'd messaged Natalie to go, oh, you're right about this book. It's amazing. Thank you. I'm loving this book. And she said, have you got to any of the sex scenes yet? And I went, oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Why? And she was like, oh. And it just the reaction was like, oh, there's more to come. And then I got like 250 on it. I was like, oh, now I know what she's on about. And now I don't like the word graphic because it implies that graphic implies, I think, um, a tone that isn't right. And actually the sex scenes fit the book and they fit this exploration that this woman's going on, who's going to be 40 and she's discovered this guy who's 20. And I can, I, so that works, but you go into quite a lot of detail about how they do it. Right. And I wanted to know why you chose to do that. Well, I don't, um, there are a couple of reasons. I, I, I wrote this book, I want to say in a vacuum. So I didn't write it to be a romance novel. I didn't read a lot of romance novels prior to writing this. And so I didn't realize there was a formula of what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. I read a lot of literary fiction. And I decided I was going to write a story that was as close to literary fiction as I could write it, um, but honest about a relationship. And I, I was writing it from this woman's point of view and she's telling the story very frankly. And I wanted to feel like you were reading her journals. And I know how I write about sex in my journals. And at least back when, <laughs> back when I was having it, no, I'm kidding. I'm married. <laughs> back when it was new, I've been, I've been married for 20 years now, but back when it was new, anyone knew, like I would recall all the details of like discovery, you know, like, and he does this and he likes this and I'm like, I love when he does this and my gosh, he's so wonderful. And then, you know, as a relationship progresses, you don't have to write every detail. It's not new anymore. It's the same person. You, you get to know him. He gets to know you. And so I wanted her to be frank and I wanted it to read like my journal. Like I wasn't going to use euphemisms. I wasn't going to gloss it over. I wasn't going to make it like super touchy feely romantic and like, and at the same time, I didn't want to put, I didn't want to put a sex scene in the book that was not specifically um, 
a situation in which they were revealing something new to each other or, or something to themselves. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And everything is a discovery. There's not a sex scene in there in which that's gratuitous. Everything has to be leading to like, it's further, it's, it's in furtherance of the story and of this self-exploration, what she's going through. That's very interesting. That's a really interesting answer to the question because I, I always believe with good writers that you haven't wasted a single word. I mean, so if you're telling me something, you've told me that for a reason. Right. Um, but what I was curious about is um, is how explicit you've taken some of those scenes and what, I, I guess, I suppose, one of the things I thought was that Selene is going on this um, sexual voyage, really, sexual enlightenment. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a huge part of, it's a big part of the relationship in the beginning. Yeah. A big part of her reclaiming herself and her sexuality. And I think gl- glossing it over would have been doing it a disservice. And I, like I said, I, I write, I wrote it the way I would write it in my journal and I wouldn't f- and flourish, like add too many embellishments if it was not necessary, but yeah. I wouldn't. But part of that relationship and her falling in love with him is the sexuality part. And so I, I want to make clear it's not crude, it's not um, mm-hmm. graphics, not the right word. Explicit. I'm, I'm kind of trying to find what the right word I, is. I think really. it's actually necessary because I think when you're reading it, because you are laying the groundwork of this relationship and it is it's sparky and it's you can kind of feel the fire burning between the pair of them through looks and and almost touches and kind of knee grazes and things like that and. And I found as a reader, I, I wanted the sex in there. If you'd kind of, you know, panned away, you know, like movies sometimes do, you know, put the camera down or whatever. Right. I'd be like, oh, I can kind of imagine it. But I kind of, I wanted it in that voice that you'd set up so well. So I think you needed to right. follow it through, really. And and then that made it a much more satisfying, enjoyable experience to read. I think, yeah, I I. I kind of, maybe the word is frank. Like I wanted it to be frank about the sexuality. Like this is something that happens between two adults who are in love. And, and you know what you just said about the journals? The world all the time. <laughs> and, and pretending that it doesn't is kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we all got here somehow. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And the very first stages of any new relationship, as you rightly said, in England, we call it the Velcro genital stage. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> what? You never heard that phrase before? No. Oh, they're like together. I get yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you literally you can't separate each other. You just velcro hmm. together. Hmm. But um, but the other point I wanted to make on this, to be serious for a second, is that you get it right. And Natalie and I have discussed this with other writers before. You know, David Nichols came on, who we both adore, and, and was really upset that there is a bad sex award here in the UK, and they give it out to a writer who's done a crap sex scene, and it's like it must be the hardest thing to write. I, I don't know whether it, I mean, maybe for you it wasn't, and maybe it was just based on how you would write in your journal, but did you not, did you kind of validate the scenes with anybody? Is there anyone you trust enough to go? Does that read okay to you or is it a bit icky? You know, I, um, I'm going to admit I've been writing sex scenes for a while. Right, okay. <laughs> I started with my Duran Duran fan fiction back in the 80s. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and those were a little gratuitous, I suppose. Um, but I, it's not something that's new to me. So I, for me, the best way to write a sex scene, I think, is getting yourself in the mind of that person, that frame of mind, and it's and realizing it's not always about the physical. Like if if I'm being honest as a woman, like there, there are times that I'm I'm focusing on the physical, and there are times that I'm thinking, oh, I have to go and pick up this kid 
at four o'clock and how much longer is this going to last? And like, oh, we really never changed the wallpaper here. Like little things like that. So it's other things that like train of thought. Um, and it's, and it's, it smells, it's, it's sight, it's, it's myself in that space. Like, what does a room look like? What is the lighting like? Like all that stuff I think factors in. And, when, and if you drop those in every once in a while, it takes it away from just the act of intercourse and it makes it a f more full, more real experience, I think, for the reader. And I think it, that's really how we experience sex. We're not, it's not a vacuum. You know, you, 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 there are things going on through your head, even if it's, you know, you're newly in love with that person and you love that person, you can't block out, unless you're on some kind of great drug, you can't block out the outside world entirely. Like that kind of yeah. exists. I do think it's it's really sweet as well, which I believe I'm correct in saying. So Hayes is the, the name of um, the boy band protagonist in this, but Hayes is your husband's surname? Yes, it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> it it's is. so sweet. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when I started writing, I, I knew so funny, two names came to mind were Hayes and Campbell. And I, I thought I want to sound British, but I want to sound like he has two surnames. And so I, I flipped back and forth between Hayes Campbell and Campbell Hayes. And uh, that lasted for about a day. And then I knew, oh, his first name is Hayes. But I also thought, oh, this will be very convenient because if I fall in love with this guy as much as I hope to fall in love with, if I slip up and say his name in bed, my husband will just think, oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, you know, because I saw you tweet a couple of weeks ago that you were away with your husband and it was a really yeah. romantic tweet. Do you remember writing this tweet? You'd gone somewhere I, with your husband and I was going to reply to you, um, but <laughs> what about Hayes? And I'm so glad I didn't now because <laughs> I didn't realise that was his surname. <laughs> It all comes together. Um, but just on the names as well, though, because August Moon for the boy band is a, such a good boy band name as well. And the fact that you can have like Orgies, as you were saying, did you, how many kind of lists of names did you try out? That was pretty, I think I was the first one. It came relatively quickly. It's a Duran Duran lyric that I... Yeah, yeah. I spotted that. From, uh, I think it's from Wild Boys. You snake? Wild Boys, Wild Boys. Yeah. Um, and it just, it fit. And I was like, oh, that's a great name for a group. And I didn't make sure there were no other groups out there with that name that were like very successful or, or had record deals or anything. I was like, great, done, it's mine. I'm stealing it. <laughs> and um, because you were saying you, so you wrote some Duran Duran fan fiction right. um, when you were younger. Have you, I mean, I know there's a whole world out there of people who are rightfully obsessed with the idea of you. But right. have, have they written fan fiction? Have you seen any of that? Well, I've seen a couple. We have a we have a private Facebook group for fans of the book, um, and I'm the administrator, and so I see everything that goes through just to make sure no one's going wild and crazy in there. Um, and so I have read some fan fiction. It's very bizarre to read someone else like taking your characters and trying, and then you real it. There's something about it too that's it's very flattering, but then you also realize it's very unique to have these voices in your head. And I realize that it, they're still very much my voices and people might have little details right, but they don't, it doesn't sound like the character to me. It yeah. doesn't. And can I ask you um, again, without wishing to give anything away, mm -hmm. is there a further adventure to be had here? Hmm. 
Um, possibly. I didn't. Well, I, I would like that very much. That's why I asked that you yeah. question. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it was not my intention originally. This is supposed to be a standalone novel, but the fans have been very adamant um, about me returning to these characters in some way, shape, or form. So maybe not exactly a sequel. I don't know. We'll see. And, you know, I, I didn't kill them off for a reason. So <laughs> as long yeah. as they're alive and they're, and they're alive to me and... There's, there's so many ways that things could go. And again, I'm going to think so that I don't give anything away, but I was I was chatting to another author on Twitter uh, when I saw that she had finished the book. And she was like, so what Like, what, what can happen next? And, and then we were just like, right, five years in the future. Uh, Isabel is now 18. Uh, <laughs> it's like, the, like seriously, your, your brain takes you to all these different possibilities. So, but I would only want the Robin Lee version <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it, it's um, it's definitely something I think about. And, uh, and are you writing now? I'm writing now. I'm writing something completely unrelated now. Right. Okay. Once, yeah. once it's done and it kind of clears the, the slate for me a little bit, I can I can figure out how much how I'm going to reapproach Hayes and Selene. Give, give us a flavor of what you're writing there. It's uh, it's I did still. <laughs> I don't know how to talk about it. I have not figured out the, the pitch yet. Okay. I, I don't. It's a, it's woman's fiction. It's a woman's story. Um, she, it, I, I can't, I don't, I, I haven't. Don't, no, don't, it's fine. I don't, and it. also I don't want, no, I don't want to force you to talk about it either if you're not at the comfortable stage with it, but give us a broad, like, you know, this one is in me setting music, isn't it? We can say that. Where's, where's the next one set? Just even the setting. Um, it's set in, Photography. Okay, great. And so nice. it's tangential to the art world, photography and Hollywood. Why did we have to wait here in the UK four years for this? I don't know. It's so unusual. It's really unusual. I mean, like six months or so, I get, but four years. Yeah, I don't know how it works. I, I think there are some authors when they sell their, their American rights, they go out and sell everything right away. Um, and there are other, like my deal was not a huge deal. It was my first book. And so I had to kind of wait huh, for it to gain steam for someone to say in the UK, hey, can we get that book over here? So. Is it more satisfying for you now that it has got that word of mouth feel to it? Because that, Natalie, that, that's how you picked it up, isn't it? Yeah, but, but, it, but also it was, it was probably about a year ago. Because I know there was a big article that came out. Was it sort of, a great Vogue article? Yeah, and it was before that, but I'd seen people kind of just do like various authors again that I follow um, on social media, and I sort of done like, oh, have you read that boy band book yet, or have you heard about it? And it was always that boy band book, and I'd kind of I have like various notes everywhere, and I'd written it down. I was like, what is that book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting because I I don't think I ever expected it to take this journey. I kind of thought. When I was writing it, I had a lot of um, encouragement from the women in my writer's group. And this is going to be a huge book. It's going to be everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And my agent was very excited. And then it was like, we sold it as a small book. And so I, I kind of thought, well, that's it. It's a small book. But I really believed in it. And I kind of have been like, like it's my baby. And so I've been kind of like pushing it on like day by day. I'm on social media constantly promoting it and, mm. and engaging with readers who found it and love it. And I really feel like there were times I felt like I'm selling this book, like literally one copy at a time. Like I've sold three books today to people via social media. And it's just, 
it's been that that thing. It's like word of mouth. You and I guess during the pandemic, enough people were stuck at home and looking for something to do and picked it up and then it really started to gain momentum then. So, so obviously it's, it's come good now, but at that time when it was sold as a small book, right. was it disappointing as your first one um, when everyone had been saying like, it's going to do so well? Yeah, if I'm being honest, it was disappointing, but I also knew that part of me felt like, oh, it'll find its audience. Like the people who are meant to read this will find it. Which and, did. Which you did. <laughs> it, but it's just taken, it, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of time out and energy out of my schedule. That, and it's consuming in a way that I, it's prevented me from writing the next book. Like I should be, that next book should have been out by now. And I felt like I was so caught up in, in trying to get the idea of you into the right people's hands that I didn't, I, w- I couldn't focus on what the next book was. And then I and then I, I self, I second guessed myself and I had a writer's block for a good four years. I just couldn't, I couldn't write. It's really during the pandemic that the writing is, is starting to come back to me, but it's, um, it's really interesting. It's, you know, you write, I wrote this book for myself and I didn't, I wasn't writing it thinking who's going to read this and this is, are they going to, until it's done. And then you're, you know, you're, when you're in the throes of selling it, then you're like, okay, you start picturing it out there in the world. But when you're writing for yourself, you you kind of, you don't hold back and you just go for the ride and you enjoy it. And I wish I could get that innocence back. Like I, I can't, I just have all these voices on my shoulder, you know, my editor, my agent, my, like my writer's group. And like, I'm, I'm second guessing everything, which is awful, awful, awful. Um, but if I'm being honest, like that's, that's how the journey has been like as well. Uh, as- do you mind me asking you, why, why do you think those voices are there now when they weren't there? For book Before. one, I realized that you wouldn't have had an editor, for example, when you did the first one, you know, because then you obviously right. you send it for, for consideration. But is it an expectation that you're feeling? It's an expectation. It's part, part of it was uh, my own disappointment in myself. Like, why wasn't this a big book? Why wasn't it pitched as a bigger book? What did I do wrong? What, what can I do differently this time? And is that important or not? Um, I think it's quite hard. And- like, I think society puts some of that on you as well, because similarly so I'm writing but I haven't got anything published yet but as soon as I started I consciously said yeah I'm going to talk about that I'm writing because I am and I'm I'm kind of bored of I don't want to it, it shouldn't be a secret thing but as Wait. soon as you start doing that the next question people say is like oh where can I buy your book or yes. they expect they expect everything that you have then written which I'm sure you had it's like oh you know oh how is it is it doing well is it on the bestseller list is it Wait. you know if you've got a book it must be the most successful book ever and that just doesn't happen to every book right. so exactly and it's like and you can't tell like what why something turns out the way it does or how, or how you don't know when you hand it over how they're going to package it what cover they're going to put on it who they're going to decide is the audience and how they're going to get it out to them like you just and I feel like there's so much about the publishing I did not know and and now now that I do know I'm thinking of that all the time and so I, you know, I'm like, what kind of cover are they going to give this? Like all these little things. These are the voices in my head. Um, <laughs> and so that's definitely prevented me from writing. And then, then there's also the expectation now. I feel like I have enough readers who um, really love this book and took something special away from it and are expecting that in the next book. And now then I wonder, like, can I, can I do that again? Well, if it helps you, right, and I genuinely, I mean this sincerely, I 
I'm really excited about reading another Robin Lee, right? Because this one was great. But I'm only excited about reading it if it's come from within Robin Lee. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. And if that silences the voices for a bit, then. Right. No, no, no. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, I, I feel like I'm getting there now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my voice in this new book and this, and these characters, but it's, it took a while. It really took a while. So. Um, I, we touched on this when you came on the radio show. I wanted to ask you about that. They're doing a film of this book, aren't they? Yes. The first thing I would say is read this before the film comes out. It's seldom in life where the film is better than the book in my experience. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you cut someone, a, a writer friend of mine told me that you can't, um, as an author, once, once your, your book, your book is your baby, but that's the last time you'll have that baby. And once you sell it to be turned into a film, a TV show, whatever, you, you have to look at those as like distant relatives. <laughs> like that's, now it's your stepchild or your second cousin or whatever. And you can't, you can't, you don't have control over it because what works in a book doesn't necessarily work on screen. And so they have to come up with an idea to make it um, palatable for an audience and, and convey all the things that are going on in her head, let's say, mm. that they can't with, without the page there. So um, I guess we'll so if see. you handed this over, is this like handing your baby over to someone else to raise like, for a bit? Right, exactly. Exactly, that's what it is. Are and you nervous about how it'll turn out then? Because it's still um, your baby, or you kind of have you accepted that it doesn't matter how it turns out because actually someone else has raised it. I yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm somewhere between the two. Like I, you start off in one place and you want to control everything, and then you realize I can't control everything. It's out there; they'll do the best they can with it. And I mean, I'm guessing, I'm hoping they'll do the best they can with it, and and people will be happy. Yeah, or I mean, not. It's, it's, it's hard. You, know, you it's it's hard. You have to you have to. You have to kind of like let it go, or like, or think of it as not your baby, but just another exploration of what your baby could be. In the last couple of months, we found out that Anne Hathaway is going to be playing Selene, and I know that these things can still change. But when I first read that news, and I don't know if this was because I'd misread your book, but I had read Selene as being African American, <laughs> which, oh, really? I, yeah. <laughs> and I know that Lulit is. Yes. Um, and and then I went back and I was like, oh, actually, you describe Selene as having olive skin, I think. Right. Um, but I certainly hadn't read her as a white New Yorker, or I'm not even sure where Anne Hathaway is from. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it was it was it was a jarring thing initially for me when I read that. And, you know, I've interviewed Anne Hathaway. I've seen lots of her films, you know, fine actress and all of that. But yeah. Yeah, she's she's beautiful and, and she's elegant. Um, and she definitely shares that with Selene. I wrote Selene for, I think, as many women to put their feet in her shoes as possible. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of, I left her ethnicity kind of vague to me. She's yeah, French. I thought you had done. <laughs> yeah, I, she's French, but to me, she's like, she's French. She's got an Algerian grandparent. So she's, mm -hmm. you know, she's darker. She's a darker complexion, darker hair, darker eyes. I wanted her, her to feel somehow ethnic, um, but I didn't want to 
like put a stamp on it. Like this is exactly where she's from and exactly where she, what she looks like. Because I know that I read books so often and I look nothing like the protagonist. And it's like, if you're trying to put yourself in that person's shoes. So I felt like the, the more I left out, the more women could read it and put themselves in her shoes and kind of experience it as if they were her. And I think that's, that's the problem when you write a book is, I mean, when you, sorry, when you, when you adapt a book and it becomes a film, is that, you know, it it's not thing. That, they've, got to, yeah. they've got to find an actress who's going to fit the bill. Um, and so it's, it, 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 it's for some women, it's like, that's not me. <laughs> it's like, that's not who yeah. I was picturing. And I was picturing a version of myself. But I know, I know we're going to have to wrap up soon because we don't want to take up your entire day. But um, it, it's a fascinating topic, though, because similarly, I'm a white woman. In my writing, I wouldn't want to write a black protagonist because that would feel wrong and culturally right. inappropriate but in a similar way I have tried to keep in my writing some of the ethnicity vague but then I wonder if that does that's it really just, hard too because you want to are you then doing a disservice if you're sort of like, right you know kind of putting everybody on the same spectrum yeah. um but I you know I didn't get that from you it was like you know I think there was so much maybe it was the Frenchness and the the places that Selene travels to and the fact that her name is Selene and she's got an accent in her name and all of those things kind of paints that picture but yeah I I definitely saw her not as white right and I've had a lot of readers tell me oh I, I just pictured you like yeah. I, was, you know, I was like okay well thank you <laughs> I was like that didn't write it with me in mind but then again of course there's a lot of me in that character I think that's but also when Natalie gave me the book I had no idea what you looked like Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. So, Celine, to me, should I admit this on a podcast? Oh, I don't care about two pints. Uh, <laughs> she, she, to me, was like a an older woman fantasy that I would have had in my, you know, when I was 20. Right. I had, so I had a few, few balances with older women, and, and that's I, that's what I had in my mind, you know, it was kind of... <laughs> Next podcast, Phil's relationships with older women. Oh, don't. No. <laughs> to all the girls I've loved before. <laughs> no one needs that. Um, I'm going to tell you something that uh, hopefully will make you smile. Uh, we can we can conclude on this, but um, Natalie told me earlier when we were prepping speak to speak to you, right. she passed this book to her mother-in-law. Oh, really? <laughs> And, and her her review was, oh, oh, she'll probably hate me if she listened to this. Hi Sue, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> her response was, by the way, I got your boy band book, really enjoyed it, and then she did a brackets, a bit racy for an old lady though. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> See, <laughs> I think that's uh, yeah. I'm gonna shut. Up. <laughs> she was young once, and she had your she had your husband. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, the most British I've ever seen you. <laughs> but well, actually, on that, I I haven't shared this book with my daughter yet, uh, who is twelve. But I did love that when I was reading it because Selene's daughter is twelve, and there is an this is not a spoiler. There's an inevitability that the 12 year old daughter is going to have to find out about this relationship at some point. And she's the one who's the huge boy band fan to start with. And obviously it's her mom and it's all going to be horrendous and uh, you do it so well. And, I, and, and as I was reading it, I kept the initial premise I, I said to my daughter. And then as it was kept going on, she was like, how's the book going? I was like, she hasn't told the daughter yet. <laughs> she's like, how far in are you? And I was like, I've got to this point and she's going to have to tell her. She could have told her at that point. She's missed her opportunity. <laughs> 
so funny. My daughter, my daughter is 12 as well, but she was about five when I was writing this book. And so none of this came up. <laughs> but she, she brought it up a while, like this summer. And she's like, hmm, when can I read that book? <laughs> Let us wait a few more years. Maybe when you're 18. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, we need to get some recommendations from you. Mm. Before oh, we forget. Okay. Uh, these, uh, anything you've read that you want to pass on to us, they can be fiction, nonfiction, Anything that's just um, a good book recommendation. My Oxford Year by Julia Wellen. It's about a young American who is a Rhodes Scholar and goes to Oxford for a year and falls in love with a posh Brit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it's a very, it's an interesting story. It's not what you would expect. The outcome is not what you'd expect, but it's so beautifully written. Julia and I met in a... Uh, at a writer's workshop conference years ago, right, right when I'd finished, we were sitting at the same book, the, we were sitting at a lunch table for novelists and I just finished my book and it was just out going out to, to uh, publishers and she'd been working on this one. And when she read my book, she was like, I need you to read my book because I think our books are like very similar in some ways. I think you'll appreciate it. So I'm going to tell you My Oxford Year by Julia Willen was wonderful. Um, Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. I've got that. I bought that a couple of months ago, but I haven't read it yet, but it's on my Kindle to read. I've heard so many good things. It's so good. She's a, she's a good friend of mine, but she's a brilliant writer. She's funny and smart and witty and she deals with um, she deals with pain she deals with migraines the, the author does but she deals with the, through her protagonist in this book and chronic pain in a way that i've never seen dealt with in literature before and it's just it's really eye-opening and, and beautiful um and uh and you've probably read it already but taylor jenkins reads daisy jones and the six yeah. and the husbands of evelyn hugo which yeah i've read so, so taylor came on didn't she a couple of episodes ago and oh, I've not done the um, Husbands of Evelyn Hugo yet, but I did Daisy Jones and we had her on for Malibu Rising. Rising. Um, go, go back and read Evelyn Hugo. It's really I'm, good. I yeah. really love that. That was actually the first one of hers that I read. Um, yeah. Really well done and just different. And I, I, what I love about Taylor is that she, she takes a story that might not be the most outlandish premise but she finds some way completely new to tell it and it just feels refreshing and like you know like like she hasn't reinvented the wheel it's something completely different and it's like that's really it's it's a great talent of hers and she continues to do it it blows my mind so and great recommendations uh from the heart i want to say thank you to you not just for doing this but for giving me so much reading pleasure i really mean that this book is superb and i really really enjoyed it i read this for pleasure because you'd already been on the show i didn't have to finish it so this was pure pleasure thank you so much that yeah really there's so much we could have talked about like we didn't even talk about anything about like will smith or like 50 shades or like there's so many more writing questions i had but when will smith writes a book he can come on the podcast i think he did I think I read that. Yeah, it's coming out in the autumn, isn't it? Yeah. So there you go. You can come to your show. <laughs> <laughs> it was really lovely speaking with the two of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me twice. Robin Lee, as as wonderful and as lovely as that as her book. And I'm that's another one props to you because you put that my way. And uh I, I genuinely I meant what I said at the end there about reading that for pleasure that was a pure pleasure read really yeah. really enjoyed it in many ways i don't know what you what do you 
What are you insinuating by that? I know it's late, but honestly, keep yeah. it Disney. <laughs> no, but generally, and I'm I'm thrilled that you enjoyed it, and we didn't really get a chance to get into it, but it is ridiculous sometimes. I think how some stories are marketed because there's an assumption that men will prefer this type of uh, story as opposed to women will like this type of book. Um, and I think publishers are going to have to get smarter about that because I think like sexuality now is becoming uh, a sliding scale. Mm. I think so, so are book tastes. And I think that the risk you run is if you only market towards women, you're shutting off potential sales. And I think publishers are going to have to get smarter about saying, actually, this is a book for everybody. This is not the first book that's been, heavy quotes women's fiction that i've loved and i know male friends of mine would love this book too and especially anyone who's been in the music business i mean i've got a lot of friends in the music industry would love this book now you know i love you and this podcast dearly right Mm. but what's just happened in real time in my world is that my phone has just buzzed me and said it's midnight you need to go to bed (laughs) yeah it is it's 23 59 uk time so i'm going to bed that's all right with you it's fine you can email me. I'll see it in the morning. Bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> and next week, it is... Anthony Horowitz. Yeah, A Line to Kill. Such a fun book. It is. And the first time a returnee from season yes, one. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. The first time we've had a returning guest to bestsellers. So make sure you come back next week and check that one out. Mm-hmm.